This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's get right to it because the news is the Rockets have a coach, or at least it looks like they have a coach. The news came down on Monday that the Rockets had agreed to a deal with Ime Udoka to make him their new head coach to replace Steven Silas. And, uh, man, this is something that we had anticipated could happen, Adam. Um, obviously, we had been talking about the head coaching candidates that the Rockets had been interviewing. Of course, the last time we talked, they were about to interview Sam Cassell on Sunday. Sunday came and went. By the next day, Monday morning or Monday afternoon, the Rockets had agreed to a deal to to hire Ime Udoka. And so I want to get your initial reactions on this. The my, my first thought was just, honestly, like I started thinking about some of the parallels between the Rockets and Celtics teams that Ime Udoka will have taken over in a, you know, a year span or a two-year span here. Both constructed a certain way uh, with with without point guards, without pass first guards, uh, both wildly inconsistent from possession to possession, uh, both needing a little bit of a kick in the tail um, on the defensive end. Um, just I, I see some similarities between the teams, even though one team is performing at this level, right? The Celtics were of a certain level when Ime Udoka got there and the Rockets are at a certain level, um, obviously, when he's getting there, nowhere close to it. Um, but that, that was my first thought basketball-wise. I know there's a lot of other things to get to as well with the Ime Udoka hire, but what was the kind of the first thing your mind went to? Um, I was very surprised. I was surprised on two fronts. I was surprised that A, it came together as quickly as it did, and B, I'm surprised that they hired him in the first place. And I was on this podcast with you on Thursday, and I said I kind of thought it was pretty unlikely that he would be the guy. I ran through all the reasons why, and it turned out that those were all crap. <laughs> and here we go. And it, it seemed like that they were in a – not only did they want to hire him, they were in a rush to hire him. And so um, we'll have to wait and see the exact details, but it sounds like they paid a hefty freight too in order to hire him. Uh, and so I don't know if they felt like because Toronto had opened up that they felt some pressure to get this done because I do think this is somebody that – Tillman Fertitta had been very interested in throughout this process and they've known for months that they were going to need a new head coach and they've known for months that Ime Udoka was going to be available so it, it was clear that he was going to be somebody that they would interview but man it, the baggage is a whole other thing and if you separate Udoka from the baggage this is a no-brainer this is the best guy that was on the market unquestioned it's the best guy that was on the market um, but there's a reason why he was on the market and that's, you know, some of the things that we will have to get into at some point, and we'll have to see if Yudoka gets into it at some point. It sounds like they're going to introduce him tomorrow. On two, We're doing this Monday night. It sounds like he's going to be introduced on Tuesday. But that's the uncomfortable aspect of this, is that they hire a guy who I think is probably the best guy on the market, but at the same time, he was on the market for a reason, and that's, you know, something that we're going to have to get into at some point. 
Well, you mentioned the timing of it, and we can get into all of that that you mentioned as well. But you mentioned the timing of it. I thought about this too with Sam Cassell interviewing on Sunday and this coming out on Monday. I thought, man, you know, I've I've interviewed for jobs before that I didn't get, and I've interviewed for jobs before that I knew that I wasn't going to get. But I'd feel a certain way if by the next day, you know, that, you know, somebody had already else has already gotten the job um and i know that happens but i did think about uh sam cassell was a place where my mind where my mind went to so let's let's get into this process part about it since that was kind of your main takeaway the main thing and i think that is the a story because like you say Ime yudoka is available for a reason i talked about this on the radio earlier in the day like this is kind of a basketball wise it's kind of a happy accident because somebody of Ime yudoka's caliber and considering that he has not failed yet as a head coach, like on the court yet, you know, he's off the just court. off the court, certainly. But I mean, like on the court, he certainly just should not be available. He he is available for an off the court reason. And so that's the complicated part. What do you I guess what do you make of the Rockets rush to do this? Like, is it I mean, I, I guess the, for me, what I would my response to that would be like the surprising part of them being in a rush to do this is also the fact that they had so many good candidates to choose from. So it's not like they had to do this. It didn't It didn't seem like they were desperate to do this. Now, if this was just a guy that they wanted and there was a market for him and there was a possibility there with Nick Nurse stepping or, you know, with Nick Nurse and the Raptors parting ways and that job opening up, then I guess I get it. Maybe that's where the urgency creeps up from. But, but wh- why do you think they would be in a rush to hire Ime Udoka considering that they had so many good candidates to choose from? I think it would probably be the Toronto reason. I, I think that would, to me, that's the only thing that I can think of. And uh, it, it seemed like this thing was going to be paced out pretty slow. I mean, you look, you know, they didn't even, they didn't even conduct second interviews. It sounds like, I, I mean, they went through the first round of interviews and normally you go through a second round and I don't think they went through a second round. I, I, I don't remember here. I know people said that uh, Frank Vogel was in a good spot after his interview. He was the first guy to interview, but I don't, I don't remember hearing anything about him interviewing a second time. And so normally you go through a first round and you go through the first round of interviews. It's usually uh, with Rafael Stone. It's with Patrick Fertitta. It's with Eli Wotis. And then you go through a second round and I don't think they ever did the second round. So I think that's where, you know, they were so deliberate with this search the last time around, they went through candidate after candidate after candidate. They interviewed guys multiple times. Um, and then they came away with Silas and this time it's, and they did the same thing when they hired Mike D'Antoni, this was a different regime that ran that. But I, I do think just the speed of this is, is what stands out where, I mean, there was no rush. I mean, there shouldn't be a rush just because they don't, they're not doing anything for a while. <laughs> they don't have a game until, you know, until training camp, you know? So I, that, that part of it surprised me, but you know, I, I do think that from the beginning, my guess is that Yudoka was at the top of their list and, you know, whatever, however that interview went last Wednesday, it must've gone or whenever they interviewed him. I don't remember the exact day that they interviewed him, but whenever they did, it must've gone really well. And he must've impressed them and put to rest any fears that they might've had about his past. And then as soon as Toronto opened up, they said, you know what, we're we're not going to screw around here. We're just going to go ahead and get this done. And part of that makes me think that maybe this was pushed for by Tillman Fertitta that maybe Fertitta was the one who really pushed to get this done. And, you know, Rafael Stone is interviewing, you know, Sam Cassell. All the while, Tillman's negotiating with Ime Udoka. That's, you know, maybe one thing that that comes to mind. And 
when the Rockets hired Silas, that wasn't Tillman Fertitta's first choice. They didn't go with Fertitta's first choice that time around. It kind of seemed like whoever Tillman wanted was the guy that they were going to wind up hiring. It's interesting, like, so going back to this whole process thing, when we talk to Emma Udoka, and it looks like that's going to be on Tuesday, there are a lot of questions that he he's going to have to answer that Rockets Brass management is going to have to answer from Tim Fertitta to Rafael Stone, some combination of the two. What what are the answers or what are the what are the questions that you feel like need answered the most to make this something that and I, I don't want to be crass about this and, and just say make this something that we can move on from. That's not the way I mean it, but but, but you understand what I'm saying. What do you what do you think they need to say or answer for for the next step to be made? I I don't know. That's a good question. Um I just think that they have to be forthcoming about everything. You know, if Ime Udoka tries to dance around what happened in Boston and why he got fired in Boston, that's not going to fly. You know, this is now, he is now the public face of the Rockets organization. He will be out front on everything and he's going to have to answer this stuff. This That's just how it is. And if they think that they can get by without doing so, they are in for a very rude awakening. So on Udoka's part, he's got to explain as much as he can what happened and then he has to basically say how this is never going to happen again because he is now a leader of a bunch of very very young impressionable people and you know you got to believe in that guy you got to believe that the stuff that he's telling you you know you're going to buy into so i I think that that becomes a very interesting aspect of this i I think the questions are more so for the rockets in the front office than udoka and it kind of, you get into a little bit of the Deshaun Watson stuff, you know, that press conference with Andrew Barry and with the Haslam family and with Kevin Seifert during that stretch. I would like to know why, what did they find that they felt, you know, made this acceptable or made them feel like that Ime Udoka deserved a second chance because the team that knows everything about the situation wash their hands of the whole thing. They could, you know, they didn't care. They said, we're suspending you. We're not bringing you back at all. They know more information about this than everyone else. So I would like to know why the Rockets felt that he deserved the suspension, why he deserved the second chance. I I would be very curious to know if they felt that he should have been, if, if this were their organization, would they have done the same thing that the Celtics did given the information that they have? And then I, I would also like to know what type of investigation did they, did they do? Did they do one at all? Is it possible? Because you always expect, you always hope that these teams are going to do their due diligence and handle things the right way. But then as we saw with Deshaun Watson in Cleveland, they didn't care. They didn't talk to anybody. And so my question would be, did you talk to anyone with the Celtics? Did you talk to anyone from around the league about the situation? Or did you just take the report that was done uh, through the, uh, the law firm that the Celtics brought in and just run with that? So uh, there's a lot of different things that I'm curious about with this process. And, uh, you know, Yudoka took the job. You know, it's not on him. He's not going to turn the job down. Uh, it's on the it's on the people that actually hired him that I think have to answer the really difficult questions. For Yudoka, though, he's got to be upfront and he's got to be forthcoming about what happened in Boston. If he tries to, you know, sweep it under the rug, that's not going to work because this stuff is just going to continue to follow him around. Get it out there first day. It's over from that point on, you know, until he goes to Boston. But if you try, try and sweep it under the rug and pretend like nothing happened or, you know, you're, you're 
very, you know, bland with your answers, then it's going to become uncomfortable, I think. Yeah, see, the last part that you mentioned is what I'm concerned about. Just And this is more so, maybe this is unfair to the Rockets, and we got to hear from them first, but this is based off of, like, public discourse and conversation and, I guess, tone around it in general. And I'm not saying that the Rockets are going to co-opt or adopt this, but the tone has been around this has been very much of a lot of what I've heard has been, you know, aside from, like, certain NBA media circles, but let's just like the general public has been like, oh, this is none of our business. And it sounds like, you know, there's been a lot of minimizing of whatever it is. And I think that's been easy to do with the lack of details that we've had. It's been real easy to say, oh, well, there was an affair. That's not my business. And, you know, and kind of minimize whatever the seriousness of it was or whatever the serious nature of it was. But what I would hope for the Rockets' sake and certainly for Ime Udoka's sake himself, but I, but just throw, throw them all in here as a part of the of Rockets management, you know, from Tillman Fertitta to Rafa Stone to Ime Udoka himself is just, you know, a, a hoping that there's not a level of defiance here of, well, hey, you know, that, you know, kind of the minimization of it, like to at least at the very least take it seriously or take the question seriously, take the inquiry seriously, even if they know something that we don't know or are privy to some details that we're not privy to that would allow them to believe that this isn't maybe as big of a deal as it's made out to be. Don't talk like that. Don't, 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 whatever you do, don't say that. Like take this thing seriously and, and I would say be as transparent as you possibly can about the processes that you mentioned, because I, I think that's really important when we talk about how these things play out. Um, you, you know, you mentioned the Deshaun Watson thing and the sense that just based off of what we heard from Andrew Berry and the Haslam's, you know, the sense that they didn't really do a whole lot of due diligence. Like they kind of just took the words they could get at face value. It didn't It didn't seem like they did a heavy investigation into this. And I'm not sure how much investigating the Rockets could do themselves independently outside of what's out there. But it seems like at the very least you want to present as if, again, going back to the point I was making before, this guy's available for a reason. For basketball reasons, he should not be available to you, plain and simple. He is available to you because of his own misdeeds off the court. So – at the very least, you have to answer for that and speak to that, even if it's uh, even if it's something that you feel comfortable with from a hire, com- not just comfortable with, but so comfortable that you were like in a rush to hire the guy. And I'll be honest with you, if the Rockets sit up there and and they say, yeah, we didn't care. I'll respect it. Listen, I won't like, it's not like a great look, but at least they're being honest and at least they're being transparent. Like, Hey, yeah, we know this happened. We don't care. We feel like he, we feel like it'll never happen again. And we're comfortable with that. Okay. You know what? I can live with that. At least they're being honest. At least they're being transparent, but don't sit up there and lie to us. Like that's the big thing. Don't lie. And don't try to make the media who are in attendance for this thing, the bad guy in this whole situation, because the media isn't the one that hired Ime Yudoka. The media isn't the one that got fired in Boston. So the actions of Ime Udoka are why these questions are going to come up and the Rockets hiring Ime Udoka are why these questions are going to come up. So just, you know, you got, you got to deal with it. You know, this is part of why I thought the Rockets might not go in this direction because I wasn't sure if they would want this to be, you know, I, you know, you want 
the your introductory press conference to be basically a celebration of the guy that you just hired. We were both at the D'Amico Ryan's press conference uh, back in what January or February, and that was a celebration of a former player who was coming home to be the head coach. That's what you want in the on, on these days. Tomorrow, it's very unlikely to be that. Tomorrow is going to probably be an uncomfortable day at Toyota Center, but that's what you get when you make this type of a hire. And listen, get it out of the way. Just get it out of the way. Day one, we can all move on. We can start talking about basketball because that's what I would like to talk about. You know, I would like to be able to talk about basketball, but, you know, I don't know if, you know, we are, what, 15 minutes into this podcast and we have talked nothing about basketball because we've had to talk about the baggage that comes with this hire, which is why I kind of thought that they would go in a different direction. But, you know, this is what they wanted to do. They're okay with it, apparently. And now we just need to understand why they're okay with it. Let me throw you a, a bridge question between the basketball and the non-basketball because we we have acknowledged on this podcast and in previous podcasts that absent of the off-court issue, absent of the reason why, and whatever exactly that is, or absent of the reason why M.A. Udoka is no longer the coach of the Celtics, he is the best candidate out there on the market. Do you think, and this is hard, this is a hard thing to say, the day that they hire the guy, but entertain me here. Do you think that this is one of those that the reward is so high that the risk is worth it? And and the risk just being, even if the risk is, because obviously if the risk is he might do this again, then no, it's not worth doing. That's ridiculous. But if the risk is just, hey, we have a bad, pre- you know, we have an awkward press conference or, hey, it's weird in the very, very beginning, but once we get rolling, he reminds everybody what kind of coach he is and reminds everybody why he would be the number one guy on the on the board, so to speak. Do you think that that's maybe the long play of this is something that could, you know, the where the reward could outweigh, it feels like it outweighs the risk there? Oh, 100%. I mean, what what we think he did is not good, especially for someone in his position. But he didn't go to jail. It's not a felony. You know, he he's not he didn't murder anyone. And you just hope that he learned a pretty, you know, an embarrass what turned out to be a pretty embarrassing lesson. And you hope that he can move on with his life. What he did, many people do, just not in those positions, not you know that high profile. And you hope that. Like I said, you hope that he has learned a lesson and you hope that, you know, he has put it behind him. He's grown from this. He's matured from this and you can move on and you have a great young head coach that will go well with your very talented young roster. So, yeah, I do think that for them, the payoff is probably to them worth the risk. And I mentioned this a little earlier today, but Tillman Fertitta is responsible for bringing Kelvin Sampson into the University of Houston. Kelvin Sampson brought a lot of baggage with him to that job. He had been, he had some NCAA issues at Oklahoma. He had NCAA issues at Indiana to the point where he got fired and was basically banned from the, from college basketball for five years. And Tillman ignored that they brought Kelvin Sampson in and that worked out. That has worked out really, really well to the point where U of H is now one of the preeminent programs in college basketball. So I think if you're Tillman Fertitta, you're looking at that and saying, Hey, that one worked out. This can work out too. You learn from your mistakes. So that's what I think that they're probably thinking right now is that it's worked for us once. It can certainly work for us again. 
And for any of the listeners or viewers who are not familiar with what exactly happened or or what's alleged with Ime Udoka, this is from this some is some reporting from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, and this is just so you can guys so you guys can understand what's going on. Um, quote: An independent law firm probed into Udoka found that he used crude language in his dialogue with a female subordinate before the start of an improper workplace relationship with her. And this was an element that significantly factored in to the severity of his initial suspension. Uh, they go on to say that the, the findings of this investigation describe Yudoka's verbiage as especially concerning coming from a workplace superior. And this is what contributed to what became an impossible pathway to a reinstatement for the Celtics or with the Celtics. The power dynamic associated with a superior's improper relationship with a staff member was the primary finding and policy violation cited in the law firm's report. Um, that's from Adrian Wardenowski at ESPN, just so you guys are aware of exactly what's going on. or the, the, the best as we can describe it or as professionally as we possibly can, that's the kind of like the official word, I guess you would say. And that's the most information, I think. I, I guess the most like cut and dry information that we've had on this situation since it came out in September. And, but the only thing that I can, that it just keeps coming back to me is Matt Barnes, who was very vocal about, Hey, they're doing Ime Udoka wrong. This is, you know, an injustice or whatever, whatever he said. And then he quickly walked that back and said, you know what? I have, yeah. I have more information and what I said, next day. and this is you know what I, I can't say what it is, but this is really bad. What, what, what is being alleged here? once he had some more information now maybe that information was wrong i i don't know and that's what makes this very difficult to talk about is because we don't have that much you know and i, I want to bring this back i guess to Calvin sampson we knew exactly what Calvin sampson had done to get fired at indiana we knew everything there was a there was a whole infractions list that the ncaa put out there was a whole report that they put out of why uh indiana got in trouble and why uh, and basically indiana made the decision uh, to fire Samson. With this, we have nothing. We basically have, you know, a couple of paragraphs in a report from ESPN today about what happened with Boston because nobody else within the Celtics organization has said, and Yudoka has not spoken publicly since. So that's what we're basing everything off of right now, which makes this very difficult to react to, which is why it would be nice if if we get a little bit more information from Yudoka and, and if he's forthcoming because these questions don't go away if he's not forthcoming about it. Yeah, man. Well, to be fair to Kelvin Sampson, on top of that, though, let's let's acknowledge that some of the rules, like reasonable minds, can disagree on some of the rules that the NCAA was implementing at the time in terms of how you recruit players. And like Kelvin Sampson, essentially pushed the envelope on recruiting on the recruitment of players, which I mean, you, you, not good, right? But well, as as someone who lived this and and lived through this. Um, Kelvin, what Kelvin Sampson did at Indiana is no longer illegal. Like exactly. you, you can do what he, but it was illegal then. And he still did it. If it's not a law, it was a law then. And he still broke the law. That was a law then not knowing that it wouldn't be a law anymore once he got fired. So what Kel, Kelvin Sampson was right to be fired by Indiana. Um, and he learned from that and he has not done it. He has not done anything to cross the NCAA line ever since, which is important. You know, he right. learned the lesson. So let's see if Ime Yudoka can learn the same lesson. Although 
the transgressions are very, 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 very different. Well, that's the distinction I'm trying to make here. What yeah. I'm saying is Kelvin Sampson. He broke a rule. He broke a rule, but I would argue did not do something that I think was inherently morally incorrect or wrong. Very whereas, whereas you might make the argument that hitting on your subordinates at work and certainly using crude language with them, if that is in fact what happened, would be something like that apparently maybe possibly semi-legal, you know, uh, but also more so morally objectable, objectionable if, if in fact that's what happened. And so something to consider. Basically the whole what? That's the Me Too movement, basically. Yeah. Is what Ime Yudoka is we think he got fired for. Yeah, and there have been a lot of jokes that have been had on the internet uh, about Ime Yudoka. You know, if he if this is how he was acting in in Boston, wait till he like how much time has my man spent in Houston? And if all of this led to the you know the split of his relationship with Nia Long, is he like are we bringing in single Ime Yudoka to Houston to come hang out with a bunch of young uh, early twenties? millionaires are they all gonna be out on be you know be out on the town like you know jb bigger staff at at uh dwight howard's birthday party or whatever it was several years ago um but on the serious note though this is something that they're gonna have to answer for as you know as an organization and then of course you want to feel like you know win or lose you do want to feel like your your head coach or somebody that you can feel good about putting out there in the public and i'm not saying that they don't they probably i'm sure that they do but uh, certainly this week and and, and tuesday is going to be a day where you take the first step toward you know being able to explain that and, and bring that to the public and no one will talk in front of a microphone more wearing a rockets logo on his chest than Ime Udoka over the next however many years because he's he's going to talk pregame. He's going to you know he's he's the guy. He is now the public face of the Houston Rockets, and you need to like you said you need to be able to be proud of that public face. And if something bad happens, then it looks bad upon the entire organization. And that's what the Celtics basically just had to deal with. They had to clean that up. It looks like they have successfully so far, but Yudoka put them in a very difficult and embarrassing situation. And he embarrassed, let's be honest, he embarrassed himself. So we'll see if he has learned from that. Um, If he, if he does, if he has learned from that, then the Rockets got themselves a great head coach who will fit perfectly with the foundation that they already have. If he did not learn from that and he falls into the same traps, I guess, as he did before, then this thing could be very ugly and the people who run the Rockets are going to have some very uncomfortable questions to answer. Yeah. And you know what? It it just kind of bigger picture too. I've always gotten the sense from the NBA that they prided themselves on being the more progressive league of, you know, all of the major sports leagues that, you know, that that matters to them. I always got that sense. And, and, And maybe, I don't know, maybe this doesn't fall in line with that, but you would, you would think, you know, you mentioned Me Too movement earlier. And obviously, all of the sports leagues have had social reckonings over the last few years. Um, you know, the bubble stands out um, as one of them. You would figure that this would be something that, you know, as an NBA franchise and partner, that the, that the Rockets would want to try to be a, be on the same page. And th- I would figure that the NBA, too, would, I don't know, like, if there's, like, an official way to do this, but 
there's got to be some kind of call to, from the commission, some commu- line of communication with the commissioner's office on what the best way to handle this is or how how they feel like the best way to handle this is. I, I think even uh, in the initial report in this, there was a mention of there being some type of collaboration or, you know, checking in with the commissioner's office to make sure that this was kind of a, a full go or, you know, that this was all okay. So, um, so we'll see how they handle it, man. I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, by the time it's, it's very well possible that by the time people listen to this, they will have already been seeing the reaction to the press conference. You know, um, I, t- I know you'll be there. I anticipate that I'll try to make my way there as well. And, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how all of that plays out from a basketball standpoint and we've, we've broken down the candidates before, including Udoka, but now that this has happened or it looks like this is happening, what do you think M.A. Udoka's impact is going to be on the young Rockets core? Cause I, I think that, you know, we, we've, uh, we've talked about this a lot, but just the, the voice, I think the voice, the vision and the respect, I think are going to be really key beyond just the X's and O's. And I think there are going to be some X's and O's benefits on top of that, but just the presence, I think that this guy is going to bring to the locker room and to the sideline from a day-to-day basis, night-to-night basis, I think is going to be, I don't want to say night and day as a disrespect to Steven Silas, but I think it's going to be a totally different type of tone and energy around what this thing looks like. I'm curious what you think the impact is going to be on the young guys that, you know, that matter most, you know, the Jalen Greens, Jabari Smiths, you know, uh, Alpern Shingoons and Kevin Porter Jr.'s of the world. I, I think he's going to coach them hard. And I think that you saw this in Boston. He was not afraid to call players out. I, I don't know if he would necessarily do it individually, but as a group, he would certainly call them out in the media. He had no qualms doing that. And I do think that's something that this team, they need some tough love. These guys need some tough love because that was one thing that they really didn't, you know, they, they had it with Lucas, with John Lucas, you know, Lucas can be hard on players and he can get on you, but you know, he's an assistant at the end of the day. You know, I I think they're going to have a head coach now who can probably be a little bit of a a bit of an asshole. And I I don't think that that's a bad thing for a very young group. I, I think that he will give them a little bit of discipline, a little bit more discipline, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, and I think that you need young guys to have that discipline and that structure early in their careers, because I think if they don't have that, then they kind of, it almost feels like they tend to be directionless. And so I I think that having Udoka in there gives them a bit of direction. It gives them some structure and it will give them just something that they have not had the last couple of years. And, um, you know, X's and O's wise, we'll have to wait and see because, you know, the team that he had in Boston was a great team already. You know, you look at it, uh, 2017, they went to the conference finals, 2018, they went to the conference finals, um, 2019, they lost in the second round, 2020, they went to the conference finals, 2021, they lost in the first round. But I mean, you have a team that enjoyed a great deal of success, not just in the regular season, but the postseason. he took that group and he took them to another level. He's starting from the very bottom with this team. So he's not going to go to the finals in year one, but 
if you can see that linear development, if you can see them go to go from the very bottom, take one step forward, another step forward, maybe you take a bigger jump the next year than maybe you expect. That's what I think that he brings. You know, that Celtics team was it, it was young, um, but it was experienced. There were a lot of guys who had been in the league for a while. I mean, you look at you know Marcus Smart is probably the old guy on that team. I think he's been in the league since 2014. So I mean, that kind of tells you. You know, while there was nobody within that group aside from Al Horford who was old, everyone was still in their prime. So now, so he got those guys in their primes. Now he gets these guys when before they've even come close to entering their primes. That's what I think makes this uh, for the, for the team in a basketball sense pretty exciting. Yeah, I, I, that was what I was getting at about the parallels because obviously there are no parallels in terms of team success and you know, what he's working with, even from a talent standpoint. Like, I, I think, I mean, you could say that this is a, a supremely talented team, but they've got almost like next to no experience compared to the one that he was taking over in Boston. But the the parallels for me are are more so stylistic. Like the, one of the big, for example, one of the big things that Ime Udoka wanted to get rid of, and I think the Rockets ended up doing better with this over time, but one of the things he wanted to get rid of when he got there to Boston was to stop the my turn, your turn kind of a way of offense that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum had sort of become accustomed to, you know, and, and I don't want to say that it's a my turn, your turn, but it's a it's an aimless offense in that sort of way. Right. A, a directionless offense in that sort of way that I feel like Ime Udoka, especially coming from pop system, you know, having coached under Greg Popovich, um, you know, he's, this is somebody that wants to, you know, see them move the ball around and have like a cohesive offense. So I think that that matters. Um, the, the defensive intensity that like they had, that would be the main difference I would say is that they had just a much more in Boston, a much more, I think like just a more talented defensive team. They just weren't really realizing their defensive potential. And that's maybe where the, parallel actually is it's like effort, like just being on their ass about getting after it on defense and letting that sort of spur your offense a little bit you know I, I think that the sort of the stylistic makeup uh and, and the things I should say more succinctly the things that he's looking to correct in the Rockets are very similar to the things that he was looking to correct in the Celtics just to a higher degree and to get them to a higher place because they were already starting you know with a you know, from a higher floor. Um, but I could see some of those similar things and what he's trying, what he would be trying to do with the Rockets. And then the thing that you mentioned too, about getting on guys, like he doesn't, he doesn't get on like call an individual player out publicly, but he'll call the team out publicly for sure. He's I've seen him do that a number of times. And one of the things I was really impressed with him or impressed by him as a first year head coach last year was when, and I'd kind of forgotten about this, but I was reading about it a little bit earlier in the day. And if you remember, they had, they had played, it was about 35 games into the season last year. And they were like 16 and 19. And Marcus Smart mouths off to the media about how Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum won't pass the ball. And it was kind of a thing within the locker room. It kind of, you know, you know they didn't feel great about him saying that publicly. And it was an issue. And Ime Udoka was kind of the one to like make sure that Marcus Smart addressed it with his teammates and make made sure that they hashed it out. And Damon Stoudemire apparently played a big role in that as well. And like, but but 
knowing having the temperament as a first year head coach, knowing how to ham- handle that with already strong personalities, you got to remember at this point, you know, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown, while they hadn't gone to the finals yet, they were already established players in the NBA. And to be able to kind of wrangle that a little bit as a first year head coach, I thought showed a lot and said a lot about their respect, especially the way they talk about him after that and how he handled that, I think said a lot about him as a first year head coach. Uh, He commands the room. And I think that that's a quality. You can talk about X's and O's. You can talk about um, strategic stuff. You can talk, you can talk about a lot of stuff, but the ability to command a room for a head coach is probably one of the more underrated aspects of the job because you're the one who's talking most of the time. You're doing most of the talking, whether it's in practice, whether it's in a film session, whether it's you know before a game, during a timeout, at halftime, whatever. You're the guy who you're you're the guy whose voice is heard the most. You have to be able to command the room, and I do think that that's probably that might have been his biggest strength last year with the Celtics was just the ability because you had all these guys who already had a ton of individual success. And when they were going bad, he was able to command that room, get that team back together, and they had just a sensational run to the NBA Finals where they fell just a little bit short. So I think that that aspect of Ime Udoka is tremendously important because I do think that you know one of the things that you would hear on the negative side with Stephen Silas is just did not have the ability to command a room. He had the respect of his players. He had, you know, his players liked and respected him and played for him, but he didn't quite have the same type of command over the locker room that I think Ime Yudoka will have. And that's just part of just, he's a very strong presence. And I think that that really bore out last year in Boston um, with getting that team, you know, through some really rough patches early in the year. Yeah. When I, when I kind of think about him, one of the things that stands out to me is when you go back to his, to his playing days, which were unremarkable and unmemorable, non-memorable, you would say, but one of the key moments, I would say the key stretch of his career was when he goes to goes to the Spurs for a brief stretch and impresses Greg Popovich enough that he brings him on his coaching staff. And even before that, when he had some time, I think he spent some time with the Knicks and Isaiah Thomas was there. One of the first people to kind of encourage him to get into coaching the hall of famer, Isaiah Thomas, that is. And he's there with guys like Stefan Marbury. And I forget who all exactly was there, but like accomplished guys who were way more talented than Ime Udoka was, but they were going to him with questions. You know, and he'd only been there for a short amount of time, but he was somebody that would recognize things, whatever's on the blackboard, chalkboard, whiteboard, whatever it is, he'd recognize it, internalize it, learn it. And eventually guys of a higher stature in the game were coming to him with questions and he would have the answers. And and they were, you know, people, there were coaches, Hall of Famer, Isaiah Thomas, Greg Popovich, that were noticing this very early on before anybody else really thought of him as a coach. He's always seems like somebody who people have thought about as a smart guy who could, who could teach and coach the X's and O's. But then on top of that personality wise, you know, at at first glance, it seems like he might be quiet and soft-spoken and anybody knows him to tell you, no, it's not exactly that. Like he, he doesn't necessarily say a lot, but when he does, you know, it's somebody that, that you're going to listen to. 
Um, he 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 played kind of with the approach of like this kind of scrappy junkyard dog type of you know sort of mentality and and approach and attitude. And it seems like he approaches coaching sort of in the same way, kind of the same way he got it, you know, the same way that he kind of came up. Um, and then there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole backstory about M.A. Udoka and how he grew up, uh, the the son of an immigrant, um, grew up poor, um, was run over by, by a van when he was a little kid, uh, apparently, um, has a scar in the back of his head for being run over by a van when he was a little kid. I'm like, man, look, this guy's been through a lot of things. And he's, <laughs> look, he's just, he's, He's grimier than you might think. And I think that the Rockets themselves could use a little bit of that grit, griminess, you know, um, and, and add that to their persona a little bit. Yeah, I because mean, they did not have that at all. And you could see that with the way that they played. They weren't the type of team that wanted to get their hands dirty or anything like that, you know. So I, I do think that he'll give them an edge that, you know, we I, I think you could say Jabari Smith, kind of probably played with that edge. Tari yes. kind of plays with that edge. I think that yes. they will quickly become favorites of Ime Udoka, but I think the rest of those guys, they're going to have to bring an edge with them that maybe they did not have in order to be successful with Ime Udoka. And that's how you become successful in the NBA. And I think that his resume as a coach speaks for itself, where he coached under Greg Popovich for a long time. He coached under Doc Rivers. Then he went to, to Brooklyn and, and kind of learned a little bit from Steve Nash and also from Mike D'Antoni to that to a certain degree, because D'Antoni was on that staff uh, in Brooklyn a couple of years ago. So I, I think it's if it's two years ago and he has not been fired by the Celtics, I think that this is the clear-cut favorite for the job. However, there is just the stuff that comes with it, and so we'll have to see just how that plays out, and we'll have to see you know if that's if, if that's all in the past. It's it's a fascinating hire. I really think that it is. Um, I'm again, I'm surprised. I did not think that they would go in this direction, but if it works out, then this could be one of the more important decisions that they've made during the Tillman Fertitta era. I mean, when you think about it, this, this is a guy who, you know, I I think with some of these other coaches that they were talking about, whether it was Vogel or, you know, whoever, um, that was kind of the guy to take you to the next step. You know, but I think with Udoka, you have a guy who can get you not only to the next step, but to the steps after that. It can be your head coach for a very long time. Um, that's not something that they've had. You know, you look basically every head coach that has followed Rudy Tom Tomjanovich, uh, you know, it's uh, Jeff Van Gundy got four years. Rick Adelman got four years. Kevin McHale got four years plus 11 games. Mike D'Antoni got four years. Steven Silas got three. You haven't had that one guy who can, you know, take the job and keep it for a long time. Yudoka's 45. You know, there's no reason to think that he can't have this job for a very long time if it goes the right way, if he can get the most out of this roster, and if he can avoid some of the things that got him fired and got him in trouble in Boston. Yeah, and on the point on the things that got him fired and got him in trouble in Boston – I do think you mentioned this, you brought this up earlier, the the point about embarrassment and shame. I do wonder how much of that is a you know, a punishment in and of itself for him in, in terms of like you know, a lesson learned. Like like how much of that is like he can come to the Rockets or they can come together and talk about this and Ime Yudoka can say, Hey, guys. I lost my job. I lost my good name. I hit rock bottom. I lost my woman. 
like I lost. I hit what exactly what you said, Adam. I hit rock bottom, guys. This I can guarantee will never happen again. You know, like I've I have suffered enough from this to to have learned this lesson. I, I th- actually think that's a reasonable thing. Like even if you're put off, you know, like I don't I don't want to assume that just because the Rockets hired Ime Udoka, especially before we hear from them on Tuesday, I don't want to assume that just because they hired Ime Udoka that they're not put off by whatever it is exactly that Ime Udoka did, but also don't want to assume that Ime Udoka isn't, you know, isn't like redeemable and perhaps like any other human being would go through something and then like have a realization of like, man, that's, I just played with my life there, you know, more or less. So, so I, like, I wonder how much of the, that human element of it is like, you know, sure guys, pe- people deserve second chances, but also, you know, like there's a real life lesson element to bumping your head, you know, and, and like, Hey man, I, I can see this. I can see that this part of it is enough. I don't have to, you know, deny him a job or, like not consider him for a job because because of this like the the results of it that he's already experienced are bad enough i I think that could that could be in play and maybe that's a a way that they try to explain it like yeah he's he's sort of paid his debt he lost his job like yeah you know he's he's answered for this basically if 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 he comes out and says exactly what you just said that's it it's over it's all pretty much put to bed but He's got to be willing to do that, and he's got to be willing to put himself out there because a lot of guys, a lot of people don't want to do that. A lot of people are kind of afraid to really put themselves out there like that. But if he's willing to go that route and to basically say what you just said, then, hey, I got nothing else. And now we can go and now we can talk about basketball. Now, it's going to come up with other people, and it's going to come up whenever he goes back to Boston. But in terms of from the Houston side of it, just get past it get past it because once you get past it, we can all talk about basketball at that point. And, you know, you've answered the questions to us and, you know, I imagine that he will answer the questions with his team, but you can't act like nothing happened. Like that's the big thing. Don't act like nothing happened. Be contrite, be forthcoming, explain yourself. And then hopefully that's enough to get this to move on. And I would say the same thing with, you know, the Rockets organization, be, honest with what you found, be honest with, you know, your um, motivation to make the hire and then move on. And then we can all move on. But again, you can't shut the questions down. You can't make the media out to be the bad guy in this situation. You've got to sit there and you've got to answer every single question about this that gets asked because it's the only way you get through it. Man, I feel like we just gave him the game. I feel like we just gave him the blueprint. Now, if they'll only listen. Yeah. Yeah. Guys. They'll always listen to us. Yeah, they need to need to check out that H Town Who's podcast before they uh before they get into the thick of it with that press conference. We might have some pretty good nuggets for them. I do want to mention this about Ime Udoka, and I know we got some very serious stuff going on here you know, with him getting hired and all the background surrounding his hiring and dismissal, of course, from from Boston. But I do want to mention from a, a Jackie McMullen piece in the Ringer from last year. Uh, I, I talked about him getting hit by a van as a kid. Man, how unlucky is this part of it? A little, a little nugget in there. 
So he's being dropped off on a bus, like him and his dad. His dad was on his way to a job interview, I guess. He was four years old, was being dropped off on a bus. And the bus driver, like he he was old enough to know to look both ways and not to crawl, wait for cars to before going and everything. He's just old enough to, to know that at four years old. And the but the bus driver waves for him to come on, signals for him to come on. Like you you're safe. Come on, little kid. Bus driver says, yeah, you got it. Come on, little four-year-old. Wrong. Van's coming. Smack hits the kid, you know, uh, clips him. And obviously, you know, he's okay. But had a nice little, had a nice little scar on his head. You know, had, had to be in the hospital for a couple of days. Nice little, uh, you know, uh, head, head bandage for him. So I was thinking about that. I was like, man, who, I wonder who is that damn bus driver? who advised little four-year-old Emi Udoka 41 years ago, advised Emi Udoka to cross the street, made him think that it was safe, and a damn van was coming and clipped the kid. Like, first of all, like, I would just feel so awful, you know, like <laughs> the guilt. I would carry that guilt forever. And also, what's the likelihood that you would be the person that, that would do that and then that person would become Emi Udoka? So yeah. just a. Just a small little tidbit that I'm like, man, this, this guy's been overcoming some stuff uh, for a while. That uh, that less self-inflicted than the most recent issue with the Boston Celtics that he's really going to have to answer for. I can guarantee you that no one's going to ask him about getting run over by a car when he was four years old, considering uh, considering all of the news that we got or all of the pertinent stuff that we got going on um, with, with his hiring. Um, all right, so... This thing's gonna happen on Tuesday, and you I know we'll be, we haven't gotten anything yet. But I, I was told by somebody that was gonna be Tuesday, but I, I was assuming for you because I hadn't seen an email. But I figured, uh, yeah, I mean, if they announced this or not announced, but if it was reported on Monday, you would figure they'd be getting ready. If if not Tuesday, then maybe Wednesday. But either way, it'll it, be the coming days. Yeah, unless something just goes terribly wrong. But yeah, you'd think it would be in the next couple of days. All right, so we'll react to that. We can do that later on in the week, um, and, and and hopefully talk a little bit basketball too. I think there's there'll be plenty of meat on the bone basketball wise to get to as well. Um, all of the stuff that we talked about here in this podcast will get addressed. You can be assured of that. But we've also got some really nerdy basketball folks in our Rockets press corps, and I can just imagine how many different um basketball nerdy X's and O's type of questions are gonna get asked and things that we're gonna be wondering about with MA Udoka in terms of implementing them with these young players that the Rockets have. So that'll be exciting to see, exciting to talk about, exciting to hear about. And we will discuss it all here on the H Town Who's podcast. But for now, I'm Brandon Scott. That's Adam Spillane. We got Austin Mendez producing this thing for us behind the scenes. And until next time, y'all be good.